you don't immediately patch a vulnerability just because it's been posted. You've got to understand the operational consequences of patching and other things. And so there's also a very large and increasing shortage of skill sets that understand, for instance, signal systems or traction powered systems. Hi, I'm Rourke Pollock, and this is the second season of the Secure Tracks podcast, where we host rail industry leaders to talk about operational rail technologies and cybersecurity. In this episode, we're speaking with Susan Howard from Michael Baker International, an engineering and consulting services company. Susan is the Vice President of Industrial Control Systems and Operational Technologies Cybersecurity at Michael Baker and is responsible for strategic technical growth and development of ICS and OT cybersecurity across all their client sectors, including rail. In her current role, Susan is responsible for the development of cyber-informed engineering. Prior to Michael Baker, Susan also worked with LTK Engineering Services for nine years, working on multiple intelligent transportation systems projects, including light rail control systems. And she also served as a telecommunications and cryptography specialist in the United States Air Force. Susan, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Rourke. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, we're happy to have you. Um, so, Susan, one of the things I like to do when we start the conversation is just get a little bit more about you and your career. So, if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into cybersecurity and, and uh, more specifically, how you got involved in the rail industry? Yeah, so it's a pretty short story, really. Um, I joined the United States Air Force right after high school, and I um, they put me in telecommunications and cryptography, and I really, it really enjoyed it. Um, so I wanted to pursue that for the rest of my career. Um, so after the military, I uh, did some work with a hospital and healthcare network services and cybersecurity. Then I completed my undergrad and I got um, a job with Hatch uh, LTK. They're called Hatch LTK now, but um, back then they were LTK Engineering Services. And it was my first introduction to light rail systems um, and control systems for light rail. And um, I kind of fell in love. I got bitten by the uh, rail bug like a lot of us have. <laughs> And um, my initial project was the uh, first rail alignment, light rail alignment for Denver RTD. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, Susan, I know there's probably a lot of people that may not be familiar with Michael Baker, especially some of our international um, folks. So, so could you tell us a little bit about Michael Baker and, and a bit about your scope and your role with the company? Sure. Um, Michael Baker has actually been around for uh, a little over 80 years, um, and we are an architecture and engineering firm based out of Pittsburgh. Um, we have multiple uh, verticals that we serve, uh, federal, federal infrastructure, state, local, and education. Uh, commercial services, and we're um, full service, like I said. So we do everything from aerial services to bridges to water, wastewater, commercial buildings, consulting and technology. And of course, our rail and transit is a very large piece of our business. But we also have a big environmental engineering and planning team. 
with about 100 offices across the country and about 3,000 employees right now, and we continue to grow. And cybersecurity is a new service for us uh, brought about by the mandate from uh, the federal sector in Department of Defense, uh, which required a control system cybersecurity be involved in all designs. And my role is to uh, grow the entire uh, cyber services business across all of our sectors. Uh, but of course, my passion is light rail because I just, I mean, once you're in it, it's hard to get out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. Uh, quite a few of us kind of love the industry. So Susan, today, uh, as you kind of mentioned or alluded to, we're going to talk about cybersecurity, especially in the operational environments of light rail systems. And so maybe to, to get us started, uh, you could give us a quick definition from your perspective of what light rail is and isn't, and, and maybe compare it to uh, commuter rail or metro systems. Sure. Um, so, so light rail can operate in inner city traffic, uh, which is much different than commuter rail or uh, freight rail. And it can actually take advantage of traffic signals um, because the tracks are dedicated to the light rail system and um, the passenger capacity is lower. The reason it's called light rail is because the vehicles weigh less uh, than passenger commuter rail. And the top speeds are lower as well, maybe topping out at about 55 miles per hour, depending on location. Again, the tracks are below or at street level. Mm -hmm. There are shorter headways than passenger, uh, than commuter rail. Um, like uh, trains uh, arrive every three to five minutes because the objective is to move people in and out of uh, inner cities as quickly as possible. And what I like most about it, what I've always liked, is that it's completely green. Um, it's all electric, low emission, low noise all DC powered. So it really is a truly uh, green mode of transportation. Yeah, agreed. And we're seeing uh, more and more of it, especially throughout the U.S. Uh, in different cities. Uh, I know light rail is uh, becoming a bigger and bigger transportation uh, offering uh, for many of the metropolitan areas. So Susan, uh, I know you've been working light rail projects for a long time now. Um, so how would you describe the current state of cybersecurity, especially as we think about the operational rail technology environments of these light rail systems? And, and how, how do you think it's improved over the last, say, uh, five to six years? So I, I will always remember when I started um, my light rail work because it was uh, September 11, 2001, um, which is a day we none of us can forget. But um, back then, uh, the attacks were uh, of the SQL slammer type with code red and all kinds of SQL injection attacks. Mm -hmm. We're not seeing denial of service so much anymore. Um, so the vulnerabilities and attacks have changed. Um, and the... Um, the method of securing light rail control systems has changed also. Back then, I was really busy uh, installing Cisco PICS firewalls all over the country uh, because there was no segmentation between IT enterprise environment and the control systems environment. There was really no segmentation in the beginning. Okay. Uh, yeah. And people started thinking, well, that's not such a good idea with all of the SQL injection attacks they were we were seeing. So, um, so that's changed now, of course. 
course, and um, the control systems are typically on their own network. Uh, that changed for me as part of the design with uh, RTD LightRail, where we uh, I designed a gigabit Ethernet network for the first time because most of the uh, light rail networks for control systems were being done using Sonnet or other ring topologies. So mm -hmm. some of the things that are have stayed the same, there's still funding problems, unfortunately. IT gets the funding and OT not so much. So I think what's happening out there is that IT and OT organizationally are converging so that the control right. systems folks can leverage the deep pockets that IT has always had um, because they run the enterprise, right? And they um, are part of, you know, the revenue uh, recovery for um, for light rail systems. There's an increased awareness also among uh, the light rail systems executive staff on the vulnerabilities involved with control systems. That wasn't there 20 years ago. I actually left the consulting world because there just wasn't enough billable work for cybersecurity uh, in light rail systems and control systems, which is hard to believe, but that was the case 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, the other thing I see is regula <clears throat> regulatory control is becoming more center stage, as we mm -hmm. see with the current TSA directive. That wasn't uh, the case back uh, 20 years ago. We had safety uh, from ARIMA, FRA, and others, but there right. was no cybersecurity at all. Now, Susan, uh, since you bring up uh, TSA, I know that the TSA security directives in the, in the U.S. are relatively new. Uh, they're about 18 months in the making or even less. Mm -hmm. um, do you find that the TSA security directives apply to the light rail systems today? Well, I guess it depends on what you mean by apply. If you take the, um, you know, the the words on the TSA directive and look at Appendix A, which is uh, Appendix A to Title 49, Part 1582 or something like that. It, it, mm -hmm. You can Google it um, right off of the directive memo. Right. So the application is only to high visibility light rail systems like WMATA, BART, and uh, MARTA over in Atlanta. But those... Uh, those actions or required actions on that TSA directive memo, it's the same thing many of us, the same things many of us have been saying for the past 20 years um, mm -hmm. to our light rail uh, agency clients. Uh, it's just basic cyber hygiene, which is um, on that TSA directive. So, so if you read the memo, the mandates only apply to a certain small percentage of high visibility agencies, but the actions required very definitely apply across the board to any passenger rail system. Right, right. I, I think you, you've taken the same angle that I've been uh, professing, which is we need as an industry to be thinking about these things because they're the right things to do. They're the best practices, not because TSA is telling uh, telling us that we need to be doing them. So agree wholeheartedly. Um, if we flip the coin, uh, you talked a little bit uh, very briefly about the threat landscape uh, and how it has changed in the last, say, 20 years since you started in the space. What is it about the threat landscape and, and uh, relative to light rail in particular that, that worries you the most? And do you have any examples you might want to share? I think we've seen um, a 
evolution in the uh, types of cyber attacks that are occurring in light rail systems. Um, so if we look back, like I said, 20 years ago, we saw a lot of denial of service attacks on the enterprise IT. Um, mm -hmm. Not a lot of uh, targeted control systems attack. Uh, but in the last year, maybe five years, what we've seen is, uh, and those attacks back then, denial of service and SQL injections, they, they were just meant to wreak havoc. They really didn't get anything for the attacker. And right. now everything is, um, I guess, incentivized by money. And that's why we're seeing uh, ransomware. Uh, January 2023, uh, the BART ransomware attack comes to mind. But then mm -hmm. in 2021, um, we saw several, there was Santa Clara VTA, Oahu Transit Services, um, and Toronto Metrolinx all had ransomware attacks. And while these ransomware attacks don't uh, immediately, or they, they're not targeted towards the control systems, a very common practice is to disconnect the control system side from the IT side. And this impacts a lot of things like scheduling and things. For instance, mm -hmm. in the Oahu ransomware attack, <clears throat> they did just that. They disconnected the IT side from the OT side. And who was affected were par paratransit clients. Imagine you're um, somebody that re relies on paratransit to have your right. um, dialysis um, appointment done. It's very challenging and could be potentially life-threatening to lose that service. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Well, that's a good example. Thank you. So, Susan, let's talk about the actual systems that exist within light rail. Uh, as we're talking about these operational rail tech systems or the applications that are present in light rail, what immediately uh, do you think of or, or are you concerned about when it comes to securing these environments and, and how perhaps is it different than other uh, rail systems or other industrial control system environments? So I think in the past 20 years, the systems themselves haven't changed. They're the same systems. They just have more highly automated components. And mm -hmm. so some of the systems that I typically assess are include passenger information systems, fare payment systems, signaling, traction power, tunnel, CCTV, and more and more onboard vehicle systems, um, which have always been there, but they're increasing now in complexity and the need to secure. So all of these systems are pretty generic to most light rail agencies that I work with. Um, and in terms right. of, you know, the difference between commuter and uh, light rail systems, a lot of these, like the ticket fare payment systems, those are all self-service. Um, mm -hmm. And um, one of the biggest differences, though, that I get a lot of questions about is positive train control. Uh, positive train control is not a factor in light rail systems right. um, because it's not mandated uh, for light rail systems. So... Um, because there are many other fail-safe uh, ways to protect light rail. Yeah, perfect. Well, Susan, one of the things that comes up uh, quite a bit, especially as I talk to rail operators, uh, CISOs, uh, or people within the security teams, especially if they come from outside of the rail industry, is, is how unique or different uh, some of the operational rail systems are. 
Um, what do you, what do you find? I know, I know you've been in the industry now for a while, but I'm sure you still work in and outside of rail. What do you find is unique or different about the operational rail tech systems and how they might compare to other kind of ICS or OT industries? So I think the primary difference is the use case and I'll pick on Siemens only because I see Siemens S7s everywhere. Um, you know, and they're okay. pretty notorious since the infamous Stuxnet um, event. Um, but I can have a Siemens, I see Siemens S7 in water treatment plants, wastewater treatment plants, electric utility mm -hmm. substations, but also uh, in light rail signaling uh signaling houses. So the PLC is the same. The use case is completely different. And the challenge right. is to have uh, the skills available to understand what the use case is and what the application of that PLC is um, and how to secure it uh, in the best way possible. So while the um, the pieces and the parts aren't unique, the use cases are very unique in every industry. Um, and mm -hmm. along with that comes the uh, the skill sets needed uh, to understand those use cases, which is um, another challenge. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's really about understanding the operational environment, the practices mm -hmm. and, and the context. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, Susan, you talked about a little bit about the systems um, and the threat landscape. How do you think about the the possible consequences uh, or high consequence events that normally you would be concerned about in light rail um, and that you would probably come in thinking about as you look at a, a new light rail system? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and um, there's a meeting going on right now that, that I attend uh, once a month from okay. Department of Energy, Idaho National Labs, um, this whole, um, I guess, concept of high consequence was introduced by Department of Energy um, Consequence Driven Cyber Informed Engineering, our CCE methodology. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I think it's groundbreaking, even though it should be common sense, it's not. And so um, when we think high consequence, I'll give you an example. Um, maybe I'm a cyber engineer at a light rail agency and I have a limited capital budget and I've just had an assessment done and you know, fair systems are notorious for having really old Windows uh, devices or Windows OS inside the, mm -hmm. the tick to get vending machine. And so maybe I have a thousand vulnerabilities there because Windows 7 is into life. But then on the flip side, I have a tunnel ventilation system that also has a SCADA system that's end of life, um, also has vulnerabilities. So I have X amount of capital and the whole idea behind high consequences, I have to prioritize. There's no way that I can right. ever have enough money to fix everything. So, so I prioritize the highest consequence event or highest consequence uh, system, the system that it would have the highest consequence if attacked. And that mm -hmm. would uh, definitely be, you know, like the tunnel ventilation system versus the Windows 7 machines. Yeah, I, I would agree there. And uh, I often hear uh, different organizations will refer to those kind of critical systems that you're referring to as kind of the, the quote unquote crown jewels yes. um, in their systems. And I, I think that's a pretty common term uh, in most of the rail organizations I've spoken with and, uh, and uh, so, uh, something familiar to you as well. 
Yes, um, in light rail and electric utility, wastewater, all, I think also the origin of that term might have been from uh, DOE's um, CCE, which has been around for a while, maybe five years, um, but it's gaining in popularity. Gotcha. Well, what what are those? You mentioned tunneling systems. What what would you list as kind of those crown jewel systems from an operational uh, rail technology perspective in light rail? So for light rail systems, um, I think there are three crown jewels, <clears throat> one being tunnel systems, the fire and ventilation okay. systems for the tunnel, one being traction power uh, okay. control systems, and one being the other third being signal systems. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Well, as you as you think about those light rail systems, the three that you mentioned, I think it was signaling system. Was it signaling systems, tunneling systems, and traction power? Right. Well, those are all pretty unique to rail uh, in general. Um, do you do you think that makes it more challenging for cybersecurity teams from a from a uh, implementation of security solutions uh, in these rail operational environments? Yes, so I think that the challenging part is not that, you know, these things are rocket science, you know, or really difficult uh, systems to comprehend. It's like you said, the the operational um, operational challenges that occur, you know, for instance, you take a a person that just came from an IT cybersecurity group and put them into a, a light rail control systems group and the way he does, uh, he or she does uh, patching and um, other things that affect the system in the light rail environment is, has mm-hmm. to be much different than than is done in the IT environment. And it really um, surprises a lot of people that came from the IT world that, you know, you don't immediately patch a vulnerability just because it's been posted. Um, you've got right. to understand the operational consequences of patching and other things. And so <clears throat> there's also a, a very large and increasing shortage of skill sets that understand, for instance, signal systems or traction powered systems. And I think this is being made uh worse by what has been termed by others, uh, the silver tsunami, where we've got mass retirement and not a lot of people picking up these skill sets uh, to replace them. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a new term um, for me, the silver tsunami. So. Oh, okay. I think Gar- Gartner <laughs> coined that term. <laughs> okay. Well, I do know that, that it's always a dialogue uh, that when we're talking, uh, which is really trying to bring together the, the cybersecurity skill sets and the people that understand the operations and, and create a dialogue between those teams. Uh, and, and I think that's just uh, mandatory uh, for uh, good uh, cybersecurity solutions in these environments. Because nobody knows everything uh, about all the different systems. Right, so. exactly, exactly. All right. Awesome. So, um, Susan, you, you've mentioned these three kind of crown jewel uh, systems uh, that exist in light rail. We've talked a little bit about the threat landscape. What do the high consequence events look like? Or maybe give us an example or two of some high consequence events within those uh, crown jewel systems that maybe you'd be concerned about. Um, sure. And excuse me, of course, the the most um, 
Notorious of all these, not for light rail, but in general in our industry has always been Stuxnet, right? So people always refer right. to Stuxnet. I think it's kind of like a textbook of, you know, version of how to attack a control system. And mm -hmm. so let's take tunnel ventilation, like we were talking about, tunnel fire and ventilation systems. I mean, it, all of these high consequence events involve supervisory control and data acquisition or SCADA systems, mm -hmm. um, because these are cyber physical uh, components and an attack on them can cause dire consequences. So if I wanted to attack a tunnel control system, I think the first thing I would do is disable the alarm system, right? So uh, there are fail safe mm -hmm. alarms that alarm when ventilation is uh, taken down or not working properly or fire systems are taken down. So if you disable the alarm system, um, then shut down the tunnel ventilation or cause a fire without fire safety systems being enabled. Um, mm -hmm. That's a very high consequence event that could result in loss of life. Yeah, I think it's common. I've seen uh, before where people will go after the safety systems and not necessarily the systems themselves that Correct. are replaced. Right. Well, um, Susan, with these crown jewel systems, uh, we talked about the, the three that you brought up. Uh, what are the biggest challenges in securing uh, these environments and, and where do you think the industry uh, stands today uh, in overcoming those uh, challenges? I know you mentioned budget being one concern, but, but uh, where, do, where do we stand as an industry? Um, that's a great question. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I've been mentioning all along and I'm also on another committee to um, to get skill sets more um, evenly distributed across the industry. And in order to do that, we need to uh, educate cyber-informed engineers in undergrad studies, right? So, you know, if I think back to when I was an undergrad engineer, mm -hmm. uh, they had nothing involving cybersecurity in any of my courses. Yeah, uh, but then again... A, wasn't even a word we knew, was it? No, it wasn't. Um, and, you know, but now in the digital age or Industry 4.0, another Gartner term, you know, Gartner makes up these great terms, um, Industry 4.0. It's right. digital, right? Where everything's digital and automated. And so, of course, you have to know how to secure those systems um, the same way you need to know how to program those systems. So lack of skill sets is a big, giant challenge right now because mm -hmm. we have engineers in the field right now that are not cyber informed. In order to fix that, we need to start educating our engineering students uh, early on in undergrad studies. And we've had some success with that. Um, <clears throat> there's a, a several uh, universities that have added uh, cybersecurity into their uh, electrical and mechanical engineering curriculums, which is great. Um, so skill sets, I think, is the number one challenge. Um, because we, we don't have enough people that understand the threat. Um, right. And, you know, there's also a large, in light rail systems, a large heterogeneous environment. I mentioned Siemens, but I mean, there's hundreds of uh, vendors out there with PLCs out there in the field. And it's very hard to have a staff that knows all of the, like you said, not everyone knows every system. Um, and and a matter of fact, uh, the Navy did something to fix that by mandating that you had only X amount of uh, vendors involved in any single building, for instance, um, mm -hmm. because they, the heterogeneous environment really does um, 
affect the number of people that understand the technology in the field. Right. And, and to be clear, uh, Susan, I, I, well, I know when I was in engineering, cybersecurity was a non-issue. Uh, I was a, a Mickey. Oh, okay. um, but uh, that's been more years ago than I care to admit. Uh, but to be clear, you're talking about cyber-informed engineering, meaning we need to train the people that manage the operational systems themselves, not just the people that are responsible for cybersecurity within the IT organization, right. correct? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Like the Mechies, right? That you need to have... Um, cybersecurity curriculum in mechanical engineering, um, mm -hmm. you know, classes in um, your undergraduate studies. Yeah, control systems was a big uh, area of study uh, back then and still is, so. Right, okay. and there's a control systems PE also, right? And um, there's one question right. out of however many on that PE test, one cybersecurity question. Yeah, well, it's more than there were back when I was there. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, Susan, let, let's let's look forward uh, a little bit and and project into the future for light rail. You know, what do you expect to see change or maybe improve from a cybersecurity perspective, especially within the operational rail tech environments, or or simply maybe, you know, how do you expect to see light rail systems up their game uh, from a cybersecurity uh, perspective? So um, from the policy perspective, <clears throat> I definitely expect to see more regulatory controls, um, okay. a la TSA directive or DHS. Um, right now, it only applies to a certain select few of passenger rail agencies. But mm -hmm. I, we all, I think, expect that these controls are going, these uh, directives and regulatory controls will expand to include right. all passenger and freight rail um, in the near future. Um, also, you know, the buzzword of the day is artificial intelligence, and uh, people are concerned for a reason. Um, artificial intelligence can be a great asset uh, mm -hmm. if we embed it more like we already do with heuristics and other things in our cybersecurity software. Um, that's already being done. But it, on the flip side, you know, the bad guys can use AI as well. So um, I think the complexity of the attacks will increase and the um, the software will also become more complex that's used to, to protect those systems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you beat me to the punch a little bit. I was going to ask as a follow-on question, thinking about the future and the, the threat landscape and the sophistication of the threat landscape, what do you expect to see change there um, as well? So, you know, I think the last time we talked was at APTA in Dallas, right? Mm -hmm. um, That's right. And since then, um, we've seen um, what a lot of us have expected and seen a little bit of in the past, and that's um, socio-political cyber attacks, like the attack on um, the control systems that are Israeli manufactured in the water treatment plant sector um, mm -hmm. that were recently publicized. And then there was some uh, mention of um, attacks on Iranian bus or gas stations or something like that. So, so what I think we're going to see is increase uh, warfare is moving into cyberspace, and we've all said this for right. a long time, but now the reality is here, um, and our 
all the, our conflicts and our wars are going to expand into cyberspace uh, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, we also saw it in Ukraine with the uh, Russian attack on their electric utility system and right. the Polish radio attack um, uh, that affected supply chain into uh, Ukraine. So I think we're going to see in the threat landscape, you know, the attacks are going to be socio-political instead of just monetary for ransomware, like we're seeing now. Yeah, and what's worrying is the what's happening in cyber as a prelude to full armed conflict. It, it's an area where there's a lot of conflict short of going into a full armed conflict or warfare. So. Yes, yes. So, I mean... The, the declaration of war is becoming very amb ambiguous. Uh, I would agree with that completely uh, as well. So, well, Susan, I, I think that kind of wraps things up for us, but uh, I'd, I'd love for you to leave us with a, a last thought. You're a consultant. You've probably seen the good, bad, and the ugly of cybersecurity and risk management in these operational rail technology systems. What bit of advice would you like to leave for any rail operator CISO or people working on these rail operator security teams? Uh, you know, what would you like to leave them with? That's a great question. Um, and um, what I typically tell CISOs and, uh, you know, IT and OT staff that are in charge of control systems is whether your agency is on that TSA directive or not, those uh, actions that are required are really just basic cyber hygiene. And I would highly recommend that you implement those actions as soon as possible. Um, secondly, I, a lot of people, a lot of small agencies aren't aware that uh, Department of Homeland Security, CISA, They've been doing cyber assessments for free for a very long time. Uh, mm -hmm. And I've enabled these uh, assessments myself uh, because a lot of people don't know about them. So I, you know, all you need to do is call your or look up online your regional CISA office um, right. and get on their wait list for a cybersecurity assessment. If you're one of the 16 critical infrastructures, which rail transit is, um, you're entitled to a free cyber assessment. A lot of people are reluctant because they don't want to air their dirty laundry. Um, but I would rather air my dirty laundry to CISA than to uh, Russia, you know, or mm. a nation state um, cyber attack group. Right, right. Well, that's great advice, Susan. We really appreciate it. And lastly, Susan, if somebody wanted to contact you, uh, maybe they want to have a chat uh, about something we've talked about today. What's the easiest way for them to do so? Yeah, I think uh, email is always uh, best. I also have a LinkedIn account. Um, I don't know if you want me to give my email here or you have that in the... That's completely up to you, Susan. <laughs> okay, well, it, it's susan.howard at mbakerintl.com. Um, so it's kind of a mouthful. Um, okay. Well, they can, uh, we'll have it recorded and they can back it up if they have to listen to it two or three times and get it right. Sure. You can just Google, you know, um, what was that event that we were at, Rourke, um, in, uh, with the Missy, uh, Hack the Rail event, right? Oh, Hack the Rail event. That's yeah. correct. You were on the speaker agenda for that as well. So, right. um, I'm sure they can find you on LinkedIn if, uh, if they'd like to chat as well. Uh, that's pretty easy. All right. Well, Susan, uh, I'd like to thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a great conversation, specifically looking at light rail, which we haven't done before. 
so thank you for joining us as a guest on our Secure Tracks podcast. Thank you. Thank you for offering me the opportunity. Much appreciated. And thanks for all you do uh, to secure our industry. Absolutely. No, thank you as well. Uh, we're all on the we're all on the same team. And for our Secure Tracks audience, thank you for listening today. That's the end of today's show. Until next time, keep those tracks secure. <laughs>